Please be seated. Now, this is a fun church, okay? Because after Trent's first sermon here in the sanctuary, when Gustavo heard it, he goes, let me see that music. He looked at it, he's like, I'll play this. And he just learned it just now so he could play it, right? It's a fun church. It's also fun because um, Trent Smith is going to be our preacher today, and he is one of our most dedicated youth volunteers. If you've heard him before, he's an amazing speaker, and he's, he's been saying to me, I'll preach anytime you want me to. Hit, hit, hit. And I was like, okay, let's find a time. And so um, Mother's Day seemed like a perfect time to, to hear from him, and you're going to be blessed by his message today. So would you all welcome him? I told Laura that I've been waiting by the punch bowl for her to ask me to dance. <laughs> Where's Gustavo? Did he go? Gosh, best Mother's Day gift ever. Um, um, let me tell you something funny so I don't cry. Um, if you didn't cry during that video that she showed, I'm going to check you to make sure you're not a robot. <laughs> because you might be a robot. I'm looking at you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, um, moms are pretty awesome, aren't they? Uh, I was reminded of how awesome moms are. The other day I was taking my little girl to bed, and uh, she's six. And I was trying to pick out her outfit for the next day, and she was not pleased with how I was doing. And she's like, moms are really good at picking out outfits. And then she listed the other five to 100 things that moms are really good at. And I said, well, what are dads good at? And she had to think for a minute. She wasn't sure. But she finally, she said, dads are good at being silly. <laughs> so our, <laughs> our scripture today is in 2 Kings 6. And it's going to be verse 13 through 16. The scripture says, go and find out where he is, the king commanded, so I can send troops to seize him. And the report came back, Elisha is at Dothan. So one night, the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. When the servant of the man of God got up early in the next morning and went outside, there were troops and horses and chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than theirs. Then Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. This is the word of God for the people of God. We're going to zoom in on Elijah. That was Elisha, and Elijah and Elisha are both prophets. And they come back to back, and that's confusing, especially when you're preparing for a sermon. But we're going to zoom in on Elijah, and if you will, with me, picture that there's a camera zooming down, movie style, and we're going to come into Elijah on a dusty road. And he's by himself, and he's standing firm. God has called him to confront the king. And off in the distance, he gets his very first speck above the horizon of King Ahab coming upon him. And I imagine in that moment that Elijah was scared. 
they had a wave of fear roll over him. Because you see, King Ahab is kind of a bad guy. He, if this was a Western, he'd be the guy with the black hat and have that long, like, greasy, twisty mustache that you can do. That would be Ahab. When we first meet him, we meet him in 1 Kings 16.30. And this is how we meet King Ahab. It says, But Ahab, son of Omri, did what was evil in the Lord's sight, even more than any of the kings before him. So you'll remember from last week, um, we learned about Rehoboam, King David's grandson, and how he was faced with a choice. He was faced with a choice to um, go easy on the people and lessen the government's oppression or stay firm in his ways. And he made a bad choice. And it almost brought the nation of Israel into a civil war, and it eventually divided. So there were two tribes to the south, uh, the king of, kingdom of Judah, and then the tribe to the north, the ten tribes, the kingdom of Israel. Now, while Rehoboam wasn't doing a very good job in the south, the northern kingdom wasn't doing much better. And they had had this series of really lousy kings until we got to Ahab, who was the worst of them all. So we're back on the dusty road And here comes Ahab, and the Bible doesn't tell us this, but I I can imagine that if you're a king, you're not traveling the road alone. And so I imagine Elijah's seeing uh, King Ahab coming closer, and maybe there's some chariots with them and some soldiers, and there's dust from this uh, dryness getting kicked up into the air. And while Elijah may be feeling a little bit of fear, what I imagine the feeling going through Ahab is, is anger. He's been looking for Elijah for a really long time. He wants to kill Elijah, but God has been keeping Elijah safe. You see, because the king had made some bad decisions, God had sent Elijah a prophecy that there would be a long drought in the kingdom of Israel. The drought was so bad that Ahab himself, the king, is out searching the land, trying to find every spring, every valley that may have just enough grass so he says that maybe I can uh, save just a few of, my, few of my mules and my horses. So this drought is, is pretty bad, and Ahab is coming down the pathway. Ahab is angry. And what God has asked Elijah to do is to stand firm and to confront the king. Ahab had made a compromise uh, earlier in his rule. He was starting to feel some pressure from outside the kingdom, Um, There were some neighboring nations, wars and rumors of wars. And so he made a peace treaty uh, with the people of Phoenicia. And to seal this peace treaty, he married the daughter of the king, Jezebel. Now, in Jezebel's land, they didn't worship God. They worshiped false gods. And so her first mission coming into this new kingdom was to install her way of worship. So she brought in hundreds of prophets She built um, idols, she built temples, and she didn't just stop there. She wanted to stamp out the worship of the Lord. And so all these other prophets that were around, Elijah is our last one, have either been killed, they've gone into hiding, or they've turned into yes-men for King Ahab. So here comes Ahab down this dusty road, and when Ahab first gets close enough to talk to Elijah, he says, Oh, you troubler of Israel. And Elijah doesn't back down. He stands firm and he says, I'm not the troubler, you are. You've done the bad things here. 
and he challenges Ahab uh, to a, a duel in a way. So what he says is, let's go up to the top of Mount Carmel, and here's what we're going to do. We're going to set up, your prophets are going to set up an altar here. I'm going to set up an altar here. You're going to prepare a sacrifice to your gods here. I'm going to set up a sacrifice to the true God here. Your prophets are going to pray and ask God to cut their gods to come down and consume this sacrifice with fire. And I'm going to call out to my true God to have him come down and consume it with fire. And I love the humor and the confidence in this story. Elijah says, y'all go first. And so uh, the prophets, they get to praying and they're dancing around. And the Bible says they're even cutting themselves to show their faith to the false gods. And it gets to be about lunchtime right now and nothing has happened yet and Elijah loved the humor he goes well maybe they're busy maybe they're asleep maybe you need to shout and pray louder they're not hearing you and so they do they go on and they're making fools of themselves all the way till dinner time and then Elijah comes in and he says stop it's my turn and so before Elijah uh, prays his prayer to God he ups the ante He says, take and fill up these big old jars of water and pour it all over the sacrifice to where the wood is soaked through, waterlogged. There's no way this thing could catch on fire, no tricks. It even is spilling out into the trenches built around the altar. And he prays this really simple prayer. What he says is, God, show the people that I've done what you've instructed and show them who the true God is. And in that moment, Fire came raining down from heaven, and not only did it burn up the sacrifice, but it incinerated the stones of the altar and evaporated all the water uh, that had been left there from the runoff. And the people saw this, and they all fell to their faces and said, God, the Lord, is the true God of Israel. So let's zoom out from that moment, a triumphant moment on Mount Carmel. Let's start to ask ourselves some questions about these prophets. Uh, my first question when, Eli- when uh, Laura said you need to preach on the prophets was, what's a prophet? <laughs> now, <laughs> now, this isn't a formal definition of a prophet, but what I see in the prophets and what I see in Elijah in this moment is here's Elijah on this mountain with hundreds of people who not only don't want to hear him say, I told you so, but they have other beliefs, other ways of living They believe the opposite of Elijah and want to kill Elijah. And here he is, standing confident and firm, seeing things that everybody else doesn't see. And the illustration that kept coming to my mind is like when you watch a really great athlete, like Michael Jordan comes to mind, where when he would get into the zone, it was like everything was moving in slow motion for him because he knew he could get to the basket and score but everything else was going at regular speed for everyone else. And so I see Elijah seeing things moving in slow motion in this moment. But it almost begs a question, what is this thing that Elijah was seeing? And the Bible is littered with all kinds of stories of men and women of God who have seen things in ordinary moments that others haven't seen. And the passage I read you to get us started, the story of Elisha, Um, is another good example of that. So here is Elisha surrounded surrounded by an army. He's made a king angry, 
The one thing to take away from the prophets is these were not popular guys. They were uh, hunted and people wanted them dead. They didn't like what they were saying. And here they are surrounded by an army and the servant of Elisha's is tr- trembling and terrified. And he's just calm and says, open your eyes and see we are surrounded by angel armies. And here's what I believe. I don't believe that this is good for us just in 850 BC and this is just for Elijah. Only Elijah could see. I believe that we can see those moments too. We can see angel armies. If you've been around for the last few weeks, were you at angels? Did you see us waving our palm leaves? Did you see us shooting frogs? Did you see how we packed that place out? Were you here for Easter? Did you feel the joy in the room? Were you here last week when there were 26 youth, 26 young people, when it's cooler to be into whatever they're into, I don't know, than to stand up and say, I believe in Jesus? To hear the stories of them on the hot roof serving the underprivileged in San Antonio, to hear the stories about them serving under the bridge for the homeless. And we're blessed right now with this really amazing gift, a million bucks, that we can build a multi-facility purpose thing, which I think is like a gym. (laughs) Is that what it is? Like a gym with a stage and maybe some wiring for microphones? Is that what it is? Okay. Um, (laughs) um, When you go out of here, you can see that too. But I don't want you to look over the horizon and see a building and imagine what that building will look like or if it'll have a view or if it'll obstruct a view. What I want you to imagine and see instead are the people that might be inside. Imagine the teenager who hasn't even joined the church yet. Imagine the adult leader who hasn't even moved yet to Spicewood. Imagine a game of pickup basketball and everybody's getting along and they're like, yeah, that adult leader's pretty cool. And imagine that adult leader stopping at a minute and praying a prayer. And imagine that teenager saying, whew, nobody's ever prayed for me like that. So we can imagine and we can see, we can see like the prophets see. So it begs another question. If they're seeing, they're imagining this other thing, how do they see or how do they get the message and one of the striking things, if you read through the story of Elijah, is you have all these powerful moments, these, you know, crescendos, these big moments where the fire comes down and it's big and important. But there's also all these moments that Elijah has that are really quiet. Shortly after Mount Carmel, Elijah is on his face in the wilderness, hiding, scared, his hands in his face. And he's praying, asking God, tell me what's next. Tell me what's next. Give me a way out of this. I I failed. And we all have those quiet moments. In researching this sermon, I came across another sermon. And it was about the four major prophets. And Jeremiah was one of the four major prophets. What Jeremiah had in common with all the other prophets was that he had a moment at the very beginning when he met God for the first time and God called him. Let me read this to you. This is in uh, Jeremiah 1, and it's uh, verse 9 or 8, 9. It says, Then the Lord reached out and touched my mouth and said, Look, I have put my words in your mouth. And the meaning of that verse seems pretty straightforward. 
The prophets had important things to say to important people, so God had to touch their mouth so that they would have the important words to say to important people. I read a couple of other translations of that verse, and instead of saying God touched their mouth, they said God touched their lips. And I couldn't get this image out of my mind. That maybe first, to hear what God is trying to say for us, what the future of this church is, what the future for your life and your service to God is, we've got to shut up and listen. And I think there's all kinds of things that distract us. I'm guilty of this all the time. You know, I, I uh, took my car to Coachworks the other day, and I had like an hour and a half to kill because it was a nice day. And I had an hour and a half of, to do nothing. And I got on my phone, and I got on ESPN, and I read stories about the Chicago Bulls for one hour and one half. <laughs> I don't need to know that much about the Chicago Bulls. And then I got home from church on Sunday, you know, a couple weeks back, and I was tired. I'm like, I'm going to take a nap. So I turned on TiVo, and I turned on this stupid show that I don't even care about, and I filled the room with noise until I fell asleep. Now, I don't want to send a message that, like, you need to get rid of your phones or to get rid of TiVo, even though you could get rid of TiVo and get Netflix, because Netflix is <laughs> super great, and that's a whole other sermon. <laughs> but what I do want to say is that we miss moments to listen, um, plenty of moments where we can sit and listen. The last question I was asking myself was, what was this message that the prophets had for us? Well, if you look at all of the prophets, and you look at all the prophecies they had, you can really summarize it into one of two themes. The prophets were either giving a warning of coming destruction, or they were promising hope. Now, Israel's in a crisis moment. We're going to study over the next coming weeks that this is the beginning of the end for them. Internally, they're worshiping other gods. Externally, there's all this pressure. They've just almost had a civil war. They're divided in two. And these prophets are making one last desperate plea to the leadership to turn around and follow God. Momentum is a powerful thing. Changing behavior is really, really hard. Just even as simple as talking to a friend the other day who used to run, and that was how he felt good about his fitness and feeling great. And he's been banging up his knees, and it's just not good for his body anymore, so he's had to stop. And he's tried to do some other things, like he tried biking and swimming and just eating better, but none of it's worked because his truth is that he just liked running a whole lot more, and he's had a hard time changing his behavior. And that's what these leaders were trying to do. Have you ever tried to change a habit? Have you ever tried to change the behavior of an entire nation? That's what the prophets were trying to do, change the behavior of this entire nation. And ultimately, as we're going to find in the coming weeks, this change effort, it failed. There was too much momentum. Israel continued down a, a bad path. The good news is where those leaders of Israel failed Jesus succeeded. He didn't come with a message of destruction. He came with a different message. He said, you don't have to find your way off this dusty road. I'm going to show you the example of how to get off of it, and all you got to do is follow me. That was his message. 
And isn't that what we said when we joined the church, that the world is going this direction? I've been part of that. Isn't that what our youth said last week? They affirmed the world is going this way. I want to go that way with God. And I'm going to close on this. One of the other really cool things you can take away from the prophets, uh, I'm taking away from the prophets, is this gorgeous language they left us. It's beautiful language. Um, One scholar compares prophets to poets. They had this poetic imagination and gave us words that we can use to get closer to the message that God has for us. And I'm going to read you just one. It's a neat one. And this is in Amos. And this is in verse, or chapter 3. I'm going to read you verse 4 and verse 7. Verse 4 says, Does a lion ever roar in a thicket without first finding a victim? Does a young lion growl in its den without first catching his prey? Verse 8. The lion has roared, so who isn't frightened? The sovereign Lord has spoken, so who can refuse to proclaim his message? Simple, powerful words that help us get closer. And as I've been preparing for this sermon, you set this up with the music, which is really lovely. Thank you. Um, My mom's been on my mind a lot, and she's been on my mind primarily because I knew I was going to be preaching on Mother's Day. Um, number two is my mom's been having a bit of a hard time with her health. And my mom is like the most positive person I've ever met. And this time, she's been a little down uh, about the procedure she's been having. And the third reason, um, as you saw, my mom used to write music. She was a piano player in our church, and she wrote poetry. And I thought, oh, poets, prophets. So I want to honor my mom on Mother's Day by reading you just a few words from one of the songs that she wrote. It says, Sometimes it seems the rain will never end. My joy has flown away on stormy wind. But God has promised he will see me through until the sun comes out and makes my life look new. The sun will shine again. The sun will shine. As sure as night brings day, joy will be mine. Dark clouds may hover, but soon will pass away. The sun will shine again and bring a bright new day. The prophets, they they warned us of approaching darkness, but they also declared hope. What they promised us, they promised us the sun. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are all around us. Open our eyes so we can see your angel armies. Touch our lips so we can quiet our minds, quiet our mouths, quiet our words, so we can hear what you have to say. Lord, help us to stand firm like Elijah did on that dusty road, confident that in you, we've got the best thing going. So why are we so afraid? Amen.